This is a Squeeze podcast. We're your shortcut to being informed. You might have heard a bit about the gig economy in the news. That's because it's one of those things that has had a big impact on how we live. So, like any big change, it's got the attention of our pollies, our media, and of course, those who work as gig workers or use the gig economy for everything from food delivery to getting your home spring cleaned. So, what exactly is it? In this episode of Squiz Shortcuts, we'll tell you. We'll talk about the challenges with it and what's going on with it as we speak. Squiz Shortcuts is the backstory to the big news stories. I'm Alice Dempster. And I'm Claire Kimball. Claire, long before COVID came along and upended how millions of Aussies work with widespread work from home arrangements, there was the rise of the gig economy. So first things first, what exactly does that cover? The gig economy refers to the labour market where the workers are paid for each task they complete rather than being hired on a permanent basis. The term stems from the music world where musicians book gigs Uh, and one of the key features is that the platform where most of those arrangements are made is underpinned by technology. One of the common features of businesses that participate in the gig economy is their use of apps and websites to connect customers directly with workers. And they make money by taking a commission or a fee from the workers' earnings. Yeah, so we're talking about companies like rideshare platform Uber, uh, food delivery services like DoorDash, and it's not just those sort of companies that make up the gig economy. It's also companies like Airtasker, which connects you to every service you can imagine from removalists to music teachers. There's Freelancer, uh, which is focused on professional services. HireUp is another one. Uh, It's a platform that connects people with disability support workers. Got it. And while I assumed it was a very recent invention, like of the last decade or so, that's not actually the case. It all began in the late 1990s with the rise of the internet. Yep, the internet did bring a lot of things. (laughs) And the seed of the idea was planted via online companies like eBay and Craigslist in the United States. They used websites to connect customers with sellers. And then there was a real boom that came with the 2008 global financial crisis. That crisis led to a wave of innovation and it's when companies like Airbnb were founded, for example. Uh, But when it comes to work, there were significant job losses and high unemployment rates in many countries and many people turned to work that didn't involve full or part-time employment as a means of making ends meet. And that's really the point when things changed. As for how the gig economy has grown over the last 15 years, let's get into that next. Adversity can mean new opportunities and new environments for change. Claire, you mentioned Airbnb a moment ago. Why don't you take us through the businesses that sprung up and utilised these flexible workforces? Yeah, well, the big one, of course, that changed the game was Uber. Mm. Uh, It was conceived in 2010. It was launched in 2011 in the United States. Of course, it started as a ride hailing service and it allowed private drivers to connect directly with customers who needed to go places. And it wasn't long before it was launched in Australia in 2012. Yeah, it really was a bit of a test case for Australia, although we didn't know it at the time. 
Taxis and hire cars are required by Australian state laws to obtain a licence prior to operating, but Uber set up shop in Australia in 2012, as we talked about, without those permits. Uh, And that was an issue pretty much wherever Uber went in the world. Yeah, how they countered that was to establish a loyal customer base and then lobby heavily for laws to be changed. Claire, the other services I associate with gig work are the food delivery apps. Mm. And they actually started up before Uber came to our shores. Yeah, so Menulog was founded in 2006. It's a Sydney-based company. Uh, It now operates in Australia and New Zealand. And then a bunch of other services sprung up. Probably the notable one was Deliveroo. That was in 2014. Uh, It was the first of Australia's gig economy food deliverers. And it launched after starting up in the United States. It's a really competitive segment of the market. You'll recall that Deliveroo shut down just a few Mm. months ago with Uber Eats and others reigning supreme. And Australia was also ahead of the curve when it comes to the work platforms, Claire. Yeah, that's right. So Freelancer is an Aussie business. It started in 2009. Uh, It allows you to post jobs that freelancers can then bid to complete. Uh, There's Airtasker and Expert360, both Aussie founded. Uh, They've gone on to do great things. And literally, there's millions of people around the world who contract their labour on those platforms. And those were businesses that existed and grew before the pandemic, which is when work from home really became a thing. Yeah, didn't work from home become a thing. (laughs) And we don't need much of a refresher on that. Um, Suffice to say that many people, particularly lower paid workers in industries like retail and hospitality and entertainment, didn't have a job to go to. Mm. Uh, And what reports say is that the gig economy got a big bump during the pandemic because there were so many people stuck at home. There's no single way to measure it, but we are talking huge numbers of people participating in the gig economy across the world. Yeah, absolutely. The US Federal Reserve estimates that roughly a third of the US workforce is earning money through independent work and the gig economy. Uh, The same goes for the European Union. Those numbers are expected to continue to rise as more people seek these flexible work arrangements. And also the technology is just making it so easy to connect workers with job opportunities. And as for here in Australia? Yeah, so the same goes here. The gig economy has also increased rapidly in size here. And that's, you know, when you look at numbers from bodies like the Australian Institute of Actuaries, they estimate that the gig economy grew by 900% in market size from 2015 uh, to capture more than $6 billion in consumer spending in 2019. That's what the experts call the demand side. And on the supply side, in 2022, an ABS survey estimated around 7% of the population had signed up to work on at least one platform. Yeah, but there's an interesting fact to be clear about when you consider that 7% number, just to be really clear. The same paper from the ABS found that only 0.2% were doing full-time gig work uh, and were entirely reliant on that as their sole source of income. Uh, And that's a model that people access gig work uh, when and how it suits them. And then they might even have a full-time job that they also do. And it's not just workers, but also students, stay-at-home parents and carers, Mm. retirees, anyone really looking for some extra cash. Yeah, that's exactly right. The one thing, though, that they all have in common is that they're looking for that flexibility. Uh, You can choose when and where you work. Uh, There's a very low barrier to entry. 
It sounds pretty attractive, but the sector isn't without its challenges. Let's get into those next. Claire, as people who pay close attention to the news, we've seen plenty of occasions in the recent past where companies that participate in the gig economy have been asked to clarify how they deal with workers. And one of the big issues is how gig workers are classified when it comes to working conditions and entitlements. Many are considered as independent contractors, which means that they have fewer rights compared to traditional employees. Yeah, it basically means they don't get a guarantee of making the minimum wage and there's also no superannuation, workers' compensation or paid leave. Yeah, that's right. And that can make it difficult for them to predict how much they might earn on any given day or month. Uh, The other issue, of course, is that they face greater job insecurity under that type of arrangement. But of course, we just talked about flexibility being the draw card to work in the gig economy, Mm. that workers want flexibility that you really can't get when you're a full or part-time or casual employee. Yeah, that is true. But there are plenty who say that there is a need to protect some of the most vulnerable workers in the gig economy. Uh, That includes the likes of migrants, particularly people from poorer countries, um, people with limited English and also international students. They're often workers who are less likely to know about their rights. And in recent times, those concerns have led the federal government to keep a pretty close eye on the gig economy and its impact on workers. Yeah, and that includes legislative changes to better protect gig workers. Um, That's already happened. For example, in 2021, the Morrison government extended some workplace rights, uh, including unfair dismissal protections to eligible gig workers. If you're following the news closely, you might remember that there have been a couple of high-profile court cases that tested the definition of gig work and workers' entitlements. Yeah, so there was a court case last year where two truck drivers who had been working for a lighting company for four decades, they went to court because they said that they were owed uh, employee benefits and entitlements, but the high court ruled that they were independent contractors instead of employees. Uh, That was because of the contract that they'd signed. And that decision for companies pretty much confirmed that gig workers don't have to be treated like regular employees. And the unions and industry have been talking too. A good example is the agreement signed last year between Uber and the Transport Workers Union and Menulog, Delivery and DoorDash also signed on to that. Yeah, and that was to create these minimum standards uh, and benefits as well for those who are working in the gig economy. It was a landmark deal in Australia. But there are some who say these measures need to go further and that gig workers should have the same rights and protections as employees. And the Albanese government is actually looking into this. It's currently considering increased regulations on the gig economy that would include changes to the Fair Work Commission's powers. Uh, Those changes would allow it to set minimum pay and condition for gig workers and other employee-like workers. Uh, Last year, the government told gig economy companies to expect that legislation by mid-2023. Yeah, so watch this space. And that's your shortcut to the gig economy. On to our recommendations now. (music) 
have a reading recommendation, Claire. It's a long read New York Times profile on Uber's global CEO, Dara Khorashahi from 2021. He took over in 2017 after a series of scandals at Uber and the profile delves into his efforts to transform the ride-hailing giant into a profitable, sustainable business. What it does well is show his success, but also his failures so far. So I'll pop a link to that in your episode notes. I find those profiles so interesting about Mm. how leaders actually change businesses and how it works. It's very good one, that one. Uh, From me, also a reading one, an article from the Financial Review. Uh, It's on the proposed changes to the rights of gig workers and it gives the perspectives of both the government and the gig economy companies and it lays out what's at stake for the gig workers. Sounds like a good one. Thank you for listening in. If you like what you heard today, please tell people about the podcast and if you have any requests, you can send them through to hello at thesquiz.com.au. In the meantime, there are plenty more episodes for you to have a listen to, so get on to them. Until next time.